Hello and welcome to Python Bytes, where we deliver Python news and headlines directly to your earbuds. This is episode 227, recorded March 31st. Nice. I'm Brian Aachen. I'm Michael Kennedy. I'm Michaela Reyes. Welcome, Michaela. So good to have you here. <laughs> Thanks, Michael and Brian. I'm a big fan of the of both of your shows. <laughs> oh, uh, thank you. Wonderful. Yeah, that's really nice. And yeah, it's super cool you could drop in here and be part of this show. Even before we get on, maybe uh, just tell folks about yourself. What do I do? Uh, I'm a software uh, developer for more than 10 years. And then I'm also an organizer of the Python community in the Philippines. So yeah, that's about it. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Should we jump in? Let's jump in. All right. Well, um, the other day I was uh, on Twitter. Um, I <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I've made myself laugh. So Ned Batchelder uh, um, put out a, a comment uh, that said, uh, public service announcement, please do not remove old versions from PyPI um, because it just causes work for people that have to go find your old versions on GitHub. Um, PyPI has a yank feature that you should use instead. And I didn't know about this yank I feature. I didn't know so, about it either. I thought you just have to live with leaving it there or you take it away and cause trouble. <laughs> Yeah, so um, so this is pretty cool. What what it does is um, uh, and I should have had a screenshot of this up. But basically, in PyPI, when you go in, you go in and log into your account, and you go to one of your your the the package that you want to take a version down from. And when you go, actually, if you go to try to delete it, it'll pop up a comment that says, "Hey, um, maybe you should yank this instead of deleting." And this apparently this just came out like last year or a year before. I can't remember, but it's not terribly old and i missed it um yanking is about the same thing so uh yanking leaves it there but it um it doesn't automatically grab that version even if it's within a range that you've specified the only way you PyPI will grab that version is if you specifically have that exact um version specified to to grab and that way if somebody has a pinned version to just that version if you if it's gone, they just won't download anything. So that's not nice. Um, yeah, it's just so, going to crash and you know, yeah, their Docker so thing won't build or their system won't install or whatever. Something bad, right? Yeah. But um, and then um, I also wanted to link to a Doug Hellman article um, about um, uh, so you've released a broken package. What do you do now? And his recommendation is just relax. It happens. Um, just push it out again. Uh, fix it and push it out. And so I, I generally, I, I don't know if I've ever thought of the need to yank because most people probably won't pin the, uh, the bad version unless it's, unless they know it works for them. So I guess I wouldn't worry about it too much. It's interesting. I, I guess this is new as well. This is from May of 2019, this yank feature, according to the PEP, at least something around that time frame. So it's pretty new, but it definitely seems like a right, uh, a good feature. Okay. Have you heard of this? I also haven't pushed anything on PyPI yet. <laughs> just internal uh, packages. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then you just tell people, oh, this is yeah. broken. Don't don't use that one. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. If you put it on on PyPI, then you know someone pip yeah. installs, pip freezes it. They've they've got it. So I guess it depends how popular a package is. But yeah. even if you have an unpopular one, you know, you've got a just a thousand downloads a day or something, or yeah. that's still a very high likelihood yeah. that someone's going to grab <sighs> it. <laughs> I just pushed up something recently. I was excited that it got up to like 24 downloads a day. No, so, I mean, uh, that's, that's good. I think well, I have nothing. I have nothing in that scale. I'm thinking, you know, if you're, you, if you're doing Flask or Django or Pandas and you push a, a bad thing, like you're going to hear about it for a long time. It's, yeah. it's going to be a high stress event. Whereas opposed to like the stuff that I have up there, no one would notice as long as I got to it pretty quick. 
Uh, I'll stick one of mine up in the in the the uh, extra section at the end. Oh, okay. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, I was I was right. about to ask. <laughs> <laughs> so SQL Alchemy, maybe you guys have heard of this. I think it's about something to do with databases, something like that. Yeah. So SQL Alchemy obviously is the most popular ORM for talking to databases without writing raw SQL, which I think for the most part, this is the way you should be doing it, right? You should be programming because so many things just change the connection string and it works. It doesn't matter what underlying operating or underlying database you're talking to. It'll figure it out. Mostly we'll get to that. But big news, Mike Bayer has been working super hard to get SQL Alchemy 1.4 out. And does it say here, it says, this is a, a ton of work that they put into over, I believe this is months of work. And I think it came out last week, but we didn't have time to cover it. So here it is. And this is notable, not just because, oh, look, at some point release and there's a few things, but there's a bunch of big changes for people that know about SQL Alchemy. For example, this is the first one that it's moving towards SQL Alchemy 2.0, which is a big change of the APIs and things like that. So it introduces a bunch of new APIs, especially around async and await. So this is the first SQL Alchemy that natively supports, without some kind of external patching thing, natively supports using the ORM to talk to the database using async and await, allow you to plug into things like FastAPI and other places in a real scalable way. So that's pretty cool. And yeah, the fact that it's moving on to this, this 2.0 style is pretty interesting. So yeah, big news, right? Yeah. Yeah, cool. And there's a lot of changes around working with the ORM towards this new API. So it used to be you would create a session and then you would say session.query of the class you want to query and then like filter and order by and all that kind of stuff. And that stuff is gone, not removed, but it's not the new style and it's not the style that supports async and await. So I, I'm pulling up here this, this doc that shows like the before and after. Um, so if you wanted to get all the users, you used to say session.query of user all. Now what you do is use this combination of select statements and then executing them. Um, and I believe this comes out of the core of SQL Alchemy. There's a way to do the core queries and then the ORM queries. And I think it's leaning more on the way that the core works. So now you would say session.execute, select of user. And it, there's a few more steps for some reason. Then you got to say dot scalers dot all. If you don't do that, what you get back is like a bunch of tuples where some part of the tuple on each entry is the thing you were looking for, I believe. Um, so <clears throat> it's not super different, but it is not even close to the same. So yeah. that's that's uh, something that people should look at. Let's see if I can find the async support here. Uh, I'll just show you one thing that you also, I want to point out, I said it, normally you can just change what database you talk to. If you're doing the async API, you have to be more specific about it. For example, if you just try to talk to SQLite, it'll crash and says the SQLite driver doesn't support async. Sorry, you can no longer use, you can't use that API to talk to SQLite. But what you can do from uh, this little, uh, that I'm taking from one of my classes is you can use a different connection string. This is from my second fast API course. You can say SQLite plus AIO SQLite and say, I want to use the AIO SQLite driver, not the plain SQLite driver for my async connection, right? Wow. Yeah. So if you do that, then you're back to good. Things, That's things cool. go, yeah, things go as you would expect, which is really cool. And then you got to do things different. Instead of creating an engine, you got to create an async engine. The way you work with the, the session object is now with the async with block. There's a lot of interesting, like slight variations going on, but you know, basically it's 
really cool that you can now do SQLite or sorry, SQL Alchemy and SQLite, I guess, but especially SQL Alchemy against the databases using the ORM in an async and a weight friendly way. That's that's the big news. That's really cool. Yeah. I actually absolutely. think that changes to the the ORM are kind of neat. Yeah, no, I'm not saying I, I dislike them. They're just you're not just gonna be able to put in a weight in front of what you used to do. It's a it's a different API. You gotta kinda go through and figure it out. But it's it's fine. It's good. I'm really happy to see it. Michaela, do you think do anything with uh, SQL Alchemy? Yeah, it looks the the new query style is more understandable, I guess. But I'm just worried about those who who are using the old version <laughs> in production. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if it's going to go away in SQL Alchemy 2. I'm not sure what the story is there, uh, what the future plans are. But if you want to take advantage of the async and await stuff, you've got to go do new things. But there's not going to be a lot of old code. I mean, there's going to be no old code doing the old async way because it just wasn't supported at all, right? So it should be okay. Oh. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that's that for that one. And uh, I think you're up next, right, uh, on your item. I found this uh, Django Tenants uh, package. Uh, back in 2017, and and then I just uh, I was just surprised that it's b- still being maintained when I when I uh looked at it, and um so it's a multi-tenancy implementation for Django, typically used for SaaS websites. So it, it's like a what's a what's a good use case? Um, let's say you have a restaurant with franchise, and then you have different uh branches for each location. Then you can have a, uh, uh, for example, your um, main web uh, main web app uh, is uh, mywebsite.com, and then you can have uh, let's say uh, makati that uh, mywebsite.com or or branch two that mywebsite.com. Um, it uses uh, PostgreSQL uh, schemas, so for each tenant, uh, it has a different. Uh, it will use a different. Uh, schema for uh, for each tenant. Um, okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. This is really neat because that is such a big challenge. I know yeah. <laughs> a couple of people that have sites that they build that their customer wants to log in multiple logins for them, and when they go in there, they want to see their data. But you know, yeah. you don't want to have a copy yeah. of the website for everyone. You want to have one website that you maintain. <laughs> And it's always filtered to, yeah. well, what company are you in? You get to see the data related to that company and that account as someone else comes in. Yeah. And this is this is super cool. Uh, yeah. Because the data leaks can cause you lawsuits. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, you could do it yourself, right? Every single query, you could say whatever the query is and your know, company ID equals <laughs> or account ID equals whatever it is. But if you forget yeah. one time, yeah. you're in the news <laughs> in a bad way. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is very cool. Yeah. I was always curious about how people, I mean, I'm sure there's other ways too, but I was curious about how people would do that uh, to build a SaaS off of Django. It's interesting. And it's based on domains. So like tenant1.domain.com, tenant2.domain.com and so on. Yeah. yeah. So I, I like it. I mean, if you're doing Django stuff, it seems, it seems like it makes a lot of sense. And this goes down to the actual Django ORM models, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, Nice. I don't have any use case for this. Uh, I don't think <laughs> right now, but I yeah. can certainly see that a lot of people out there would. I mean, like I said, if, if you've got a group of people associated with one customer and another group of people associated with another customer and you want to make sure that only their data is, is all kind yeah. of shared, but not not overly shared, then this is a cool use case. Yeah. Nice. Well, that's a really nice. good find. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Awesome. All right. All right. Brian, um, you ready to commit? Oh. Awesome. <laughs> race condition. Race condition. Yeah. Yeah, so um, you've have I think we've talked about pre-commit. I'm pretty sure we have. 
Um, definitely talked a, about pre-commit hooks in, in the, the small, but not necessarily in the framework style. I don't know. Yeah. So, um, so pre-commit, uh, the, well, this is the documentation for pre-commit, the, uh, the normal pre-commit everybody lo- knows and loves. And if you don't know it and love it, you should probably check it out because it's a, it's a, I wanted to bring up a couple of things. One of them is that it's a, it's a lot more than just, um, so I get, I, I, along with a lot of other people, uh, ran across pre-commit with things like, I want to remember to run, uh, black and, you know, I know I'm going to run my tests. So so I may as well just check, make sure that all the tests passed before I check stuff in. And maybe I'll run the linter and, uh, just go ahead and run black over something. And then I don't have to worry about it too much. Um, things like that, uh, before you commit. And that's where the pre-commit got its name, but there's a lot more hooks than pre-commit than commit or the pre-commit hook with the pre-commit tool, you can hook into uh, pre-merge and post-merge and all sorts of entry points around uh, version control. Um, so it's a very powerful tool. And uh, there's a there's this thing when, when people build up a whole bunch of tooling around it, and you can also get best-in-class little hook snippets from other people uh, to, to plug into it, which is really great. But if I'm sharing it across a whole bunch of different projects, I kind of have to copy that into all the repos. But um, you don't really have to anymore because uh, because now there's a pre-commit CI. So uh, it's a continuous integration type version uh, like a lot of other, like, uh, I don't know, like uh, Travis used to be or something or, or other sort of CI tools. This is another CI tool chain that you can use and it'll run. You can set up uh, uh, pre-commit hooks and run it over um, a project. And then one of the nice things about it is you can you can have a whole bunch of uh, different things set up and configured and run it against um, multiple projects and, and have that just set up in a different place. So this is a really, really kind of a cool tool. And uh, I've been tr- trying it out on a couple of projects. So yeah, so we have pre-commit, pre-commit framework, which uh, lets you use pre-commit hooks there's a lot of layers it's like turtles all the way down you you can have pre-commit you can have pre-commit hooks for git but they might be written in all different languages like node or rust or python or whatever and getting those installed and running can be a pain so there's the pre-commit framework which lets you not worry about that stuff and just run all these pre-commit hooks from different sources this is another thing on top of that this is the pre-commit continuous integration service so if people have heard of pre-commit before this is like extra new stuff that anthony sotili has been working on right yeah yeah and uh he's been uh doing this on the side for a little while to try to it's a it's believe it's well i've signed up uh with through github and i think it's free for open source projects i don't know the details um but uh Anyway, I, I think it's an, a neat idea. Um, I occasionally get um, so one of the things that's nice about it. Obviously, I'm going to run pre-commit the the hooks, but if somebody merges something into my code, they can they can choose not to do that and do a merge request. And this this allows uh, all those hooks to run on all the merge requests. So I'm I'm a big fan of putting stuff in CI because I've seen so many scenarios where people are. Part of some of the people on the team are really excited about this and really want to work with it. And other people, they don't even want to be bothered to figure out what it is. Yeah. But their inattention to it means the builds break and other stuff goes wrong for the people who are trying to keep, I don't know, the linter happy, the unit test yeah. running or whatever it is, right? And so if you're relying upon pre-commit hooks, this means that everybody gets their pre-commit, their, their commit hooks and stuff run and validated, not just the people who didn't, you know, ignore them or whatever. Yeah. Um, like one example is like, just like black, for instance, if you like to run black over your stuff before you check it in, um, you can just not even see it before, 
people do it. And one of the nice things about this is that it can um, it can change create a new merge request. So one of the things it'll do is if somebody does a, a pull request or merge request, whatever, uh, against your project and you want this stuff run, um, like for instance, some of them will actually change your code. Black's one that changes your code. So this takes the old merge request, uh, runs Black on it, and then creates a new merge request with the changes. Uh, so that's nice. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Okay, are you using any uh, pre-commit hooks or anything like that with your teams? Uh, no, I'm just aware of Black, but when Brian explained it, <laughs> it's it's uh, yeah, it's similar to it. Although it's uh, something that you put on GitHub, did I understand it? Mm. Right. Well, or, or, or whatever your repository. The continuous integration version, the what we're just covering, does um, you can put it on GitHub, uh, but the and pre-commit works with GitHub projects as well. Um, but it's a, something you run locally, so you have it. It's it it's run by Git pre-commit hooks are triggering the the hooks that you can mm -hmm. configure. Yeah, that's a yes. It's turtles all the way down. Um, yeah. So Brian, ha I don't know if you have any awareness to this or not, but I'll ask you anyway. Just tell me if you don't know. Um, would it still make sense to run, put the pre-commit framework locally and have it try to do it locally before it happens in GitHub? So maybe you get a better, more immediate feedback on it or just yeah, like uh, depend on the one on the CI server? Of course I do. Um, so that because I, I want to catch it before I push it up yeah, for my own too. stuff. Right. But if somebody's uh, 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 wants to you know, do a pull request. I don't even want to look at their code if it doesn't pass. The, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it might be a cool idea, nope. but but if it's if if you know, it's a lot of work yeah. if somebody pushes something and, the, and yeah. it, all the tests are broken and whatever. Yeah. And yeah, then, worst like, case, you don't want to go back and say, "Oh, I'll accept your PR, but you have to go and run black against it, and then I'll accept it." Like, just make it automatic. Yeah, just make yeah. it automatic. So yeah, yeah, super cool. All right, the next one here comes to us from David Smith. And he, like many of our listeners, are, is a very helpful, sends in things yeah. periodically and says, hey, I happen across this thing at sneak, S-N-Y-K dot I-O. And I'm not sure how new this is, but it's quite neat. So over here, we have the sneak package advisor. And it's not just for Python. It's for many of the things, I guess three of the things, the moment NPM, IPI, and Docker. And what you can do is you can go over here. I'll just focus on PyPI for now. And you can put in packages like they have Django there listed. So let's put Django in and see what happens. And it will tell you what is the package health score? What is the security story? Mm -hmm. Have there been issues? Have they been fixed? How often mm -hmm. is this being worked on? So many times people who are new to Python or even not new to Python, but new to an area like, you know what? Mm -hmm. I want to start using async and await with an ORM. What are my options? I've been using SQLocme and imagine it didn't get its update. I got to switch to something else. What are my choices? Here's four. How do I know which one of those four is mm -hmm. still alive, healthy, et cetera, et cetera. So um, you come in here and you can see some information about it. I'm going to say that this is not, not necessarily the best. Um, let me see if I can find Django without. So one of the things I'm seeing that uh, makes me kind of wonder, I clicked on the maybe the wrong one. I clicked on a specific version and it said it was not very popular. I'm like, that can't be right for Django. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a, an unpopular yeah. <laughs> package. So it tells you things like, what is the popularity? And for Django, so this is a key ecosystem project, like too big to fail, sort of. What is its maintenance story? It's healthy. Does it have known security concerns? No. Is its community active or whatever? And then also it's cool. It has, you might also look at these other packages like Django's getting 97. Flask, it shows right there. Flask is a 93 out of 100 Whoa. in its score. And you could open it up and see why. There's a bunch of graphs 
around here as well. You can see like the commit frequency, the open issues, the open PRs, when was the last commit, uh, GitHub forks, uh, all sorts of stuff around here. So number of contributors, go down there and see that. Actually, the community shows like the recent people. Does it have a code of conduct that it could discover, right? Is it have funding? Does it have a contributing doc? Uh, what were the recent security issues? All sorts of stuff. You know, I'm not going to go through all of it, but there's a bunch of cool things you can just pull up about other packages and compare them against each other. Uh, you can pull up like Flask if you want and see that side by side and, and so on. So what do you guys neat. think? Yeah, cool, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it's neat. It's similar to djangopackages.org. Oh, oh. Okay. Yeah, djangopackages.org. Which is, like you said, a similar idea, but just for like, um, yeah, for like an off layer for Django <laughs> yeah. or a, a special admin backend for Django. But this is more like for the whole yeah, community. Yeah, for the whole right? Python. Uh, or there, there are, it supports other languages too, right? Yeah, this yeah. sort of, it supports Node as and, yeah. and Docker, right? Um, so yeah, I think the yeah. idea is probably that more stuff is coming along. But I do like this, you know, if everything else being equal and you can't decide, yeah. put two projects in here and, you yeah. know, see what it <laughs> says, right? You can see, like to me, one of the big warning signs of an open source project is if there's a bunch of PRs that are like six months old, mm -hmm. nobody's even bothered to respond. You know, somebody's gone to the effort of, I've actually tried to improve this. I've done the work. I've written the tests. Here it is. Will you just accept it or tell me what else <laughs> I got to do? And they're not even willing to respond. Like that is a huge red flag. Oh. And that kind of stuff will come up here as well. And Ooh. hey, Anthony Shaw out there in the live stream, because if you sign up with your GitHub creds, Sneak will check your project uh, requirements.txt for you and raise PRs if there are security issues. Yeah. Oh, nice. And if you use PyCharm, uh, the PyCharm security extension, it has mm -hmm. Sneak is integrated in. Oh, and Anthony, who makes that uh, PyCharm security extension? Is that? Uh, no, that's right. Anthony does that one. So <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that's really good work, Anthony. Uh, uh, thanks for the that extra information as well. So you can just search a project mm -hmm. on there? Yeah, mm -hmm. put me on the spot. Search my... Uh, car cards? What is it? No, PyTest dash check. A oh, PyTest check. Gotcha. Oh, let's see what we get. What are we going to get? Hold on. Uh, <laughs> oh, you, yeah. You're doing pretty the good. You got a 65. One. I mean, yeah. you yeah. look, you were recognized. Look at this. And you're sustainable <laughs> with no known security issues. Like, I'm saying this is, this ain't bad, man. Uh, the, I mean, there are fewer committers than in Django, to be fair, but still. <laughs> Yeah, so it's yeah, quite good, right? But, but I'm surprised that there's ten contributors. This is just mm -hmm. something that I. It's yeah, it's pretty. It's probably my oldest package, so that's yeah. okay. No, this is pretty good. I mean, it has no known <laughs> security issues. That's pretty good. And you could even embed a little package health score if you wanted to, right? Well, let's get let's figure out how I can get it up. Um, <laughs> get the, get the, yeah, get that into the '90s and then embed get it. Up in the yeah, '90s, how about that? Perfect, so, fantastic. Yeah. All right, uh, who's next? Uh, I guess. Uh, Kayla, you're next, so uh, yeah. there you go. Tell us about so, this one. So the this one has been contributed by one of the shows uh, yeah, in, on Twitter, uh, fans. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then uh, when I first looked at it, I thought it, it's just another um, it's just another tool that tries to do away with uh, JavaScript. But then when I tried it out, uh, I guess I, I, I kind of had... Uh, an appreciation for it uh, because it can be used for uh yeah i, I imagine for hobby projects like for people who oh wait uh, let me just explain what it's for <laughs> it allows you to build simple applications or browser-based gui applications without the need to write html and javascript 
So it has uh, input and output modules. It's also based on Tornado when I check the requirements. Um, um, oh, that's really cool. Yeah. So if you were going to write a script, just a terminal CLI type application, yeah. and it would ask questions like input, yeah. what is your height in centimeters? Input, what is your weight? And it would convert that to a float. And then you would um, print out the information. So this has really yeah. similar stuff like the input doesn't come from the built-in one. It comes from pywebio.input. Yeah. And yeah. that'll actually create a text box. And because yeah. you say the type, you'll even get validation. Like, oh, this has to be a number. Yeah. That's pretty neat. Yeah. yeah, I think it can be used for hobby projects, like for people who know how to write Python code, but don't want to write HTML and JavaScript. And it uh, also um, as a teaching tool for, let's say, uh, you're teaching kids the concept of input and output and don't want them to uh, just uh, use the terminal. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. My daughter wanted to learn Python and get into programming and stuff. And I tried to show her stuff in the terminal. And she was just, no. Uninterested. <laughs> yeah. And then we started playing with Anvil, which has a similar, like, really simple way to just get, like, graphical stuff on the screen. And it, oh, she was all about it. She played with it for hours, creating little mm -hmm. apps and quizzes for people and stuff. And it's it doesn't seem like a big difference, but that yeah. visual aspect, yeah. I think it's pretty big. I think people yeah. are... You know, it makes a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. I was, um, so I, I probably use something like this for maybe, uh, um, uh, build scripts, for instance, yeah. used by a team. Uh, so sometimes you have like, you know, just a, a few questions you need to ask somebody yeah. and you can do that easily on a web form or something like yeah. that. But, um, but if it's a, like a, a script that you're running on the command line and some people don't want to run to have interactive command line, I don't understand that actually personally, yeah. but <laughs> there's definitely people on my team that will not, yeah. uh, voluntarily run a command line script. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And it looks like uh, it integrates into existing web frameworks, which is cool. Yeah. But it also, the way it runs, it looks like you might be able to actually package it up with PyInstaller and just go here, double click this, and it'll come up with something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah don't, pretty neat. Don't, the only limitation I see is that when uh, once you want to style the HTML code, uh, but that's far, uh, way far in the future. I mean... <laughs> Yeah, if it, once you probably got to do CSS or that, yeah. something like that, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, cool. That's a, a good pick. Very nice. Thanks to the contributor cool. in, on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, that's that's nice. it for me, Brian. You got anything else? Um, well, I, I had teased about uh, just saying that, well, we already talked about PyCheck test check a, a little bit. So um, the, the new... <laughs> The new package that I just put up uh, last week, I guess, uh, was um, <laughs> it's a I, I went ahead and um, so I misunderstood. There's a, a package called PyTest Poo, which um, is a brilliant package that um, I thought I had had it wrong. I thought it put little right, like poo emojis <laughs> for failed tests. Turns out it didn't. What it does is um, is you you put uh you had to mark a test with uh, like poo and then it, it just showed those uh, whether it passed or failed. And, and I said, well, I thought well, we kind of need a distinguisher. So also I don't think I could get my team to use poo emojis. So um, <laughs> I created PyTest Yuck because I'm a kid of the Mr. Yuck generation, I guess. Um, and so these, what it does is you, uh, you mark a test with yuck and if it passes, <laughs> you get a, a green queasy face. And if it fails, it actually throws up. So, um, 
So this is, <laughs> this is a new and it's uh, download stats are the only day it, that recorded mm-hmm. was 24 downloads. So that's actually pretty good for its first day. That's I'm going to say that's good. Yeah. <laughs> it was probably all me. Um, but uh, the, and then, uh, I don't know, a month ago or so, I did PyTest source paths, uh, which just allows you to specify uh, import paths for so that your tests can find your code. Um, and then, as we already showed, PyTest check is the one I've, that's been out for years. It just allows multiple failures. So those are my, my packages. Yeah. No, PyTest. those are really cool. And you've been busy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll try so nice. the yuck, the yuck <laughs> package <laughs> later. <laughs> nice. All right, I got a few real quick things to throw out there at the end here as well. Marco Gorelli sent over this project that he's working on called Absolutify Imports. So if you've got a package that's using relative imports and you would rather to convert it over, so all the you know dot and you know from dot or from dot dot whatever import something and turn those into absolute imports, it's like one line. To me, it's a little bit like Flint. Run that against your project that turns all the string formatting to F strings. This will do that, but for the imports, uh, keep them from relative to absolute. So that might be helpful. People got some code to migrate and they want to do it like this. And then uh, notice Anthony Shaw was in the audience, but I was already going to cover this, Anthony. Last week, <laughs> was it Kelly Hernandez who said, oh, um, when I talked to you about Beanie, the MongoDB ORM, she's like, oh, I thought you were talking about Beanie Babies. And then somebody threw out that Anthony Shaw should make a, a Beanie Baby plugin. And uh, it looks like he's already made a Beanie Baby bear. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? He hit this up like the same day. Uh, well done, Anthony. Thanks for keeping it uh, interactive. That's awesome. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah, cool. And we've talked about supply chain issues and hacks and whatnot. Well, this one should take people's breath away. Like, I mean, you were like, oh, you don't want to install from this other other uh, install source rather than from like main source on python.org or whatever I was talking about the other day, right? I'm like, I'm building from source at this point. This is driving me crazy. Well, PHP didn't want to use GitHub. They wanted to have their own like sort of GitHub-like thing with their own authentication and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Well, somebody broke into that and literally put a backdoor into PHP itself. Oh. Think, think about that. 79% of the websites in the world run on yeah. PHP and the runtime itself had a backdoor in it. Just for a little while, but yes. Yeah, I mean, just for a little while. Yeah. Like, so there's... <laughs> We even got a little bit of a diff here in this Ars Technica article I'm linking to. Like, um, excuse me, what does this line do? This line executes PHP code from within the user agent if the string, if the user agent includes zero DM. So you just put your user, you just put the hack you want to run in your user agent and do a request to the server and off it goes. That's uh, nuts. That's not good. (laughs) So um, thankfully, that's not Python. And then this one, uh, this one was you, Michaela, right? Yeah, it's the yeah, last day. Last yeah. day. It's the last day of the March membership drive for uh, the PSF. Uh, I mean, they said that they ca- you can be a member uh, any time of the year, but it's the last day for their 2000 goal <laughs> member yeah. for for March. Yeah, super cool. Hopefully, they're doing well over here. Yeah. Yeah. See? Yeah. So, people, uh, please be part of that if uh, yeah <laughs> if you want to be great to support them that way. All right. And I got to say, uh, Michael, thanks for bringing up Flint. I was actually forgot about that and I need it. Um, and and I love Flint. That... F-L-Y-N-T. Love it. Yes. Y-N-T. I was Googling it for a while until I found it. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I've turned that loose on some, most of the Python code I have to live with and any frequency I have to go back to. It's like, just find all the strings and make them F strings and I'll go look at it. Lovely. I love it. Okay. All right. Speaking of love and stuff, how about a joke? 
I love one. All right. So this one comes uh, not to us, but was found. Uh, and Ricardo Ferreria put this out on Twitter. So I thought this would be fun. Like we've talked about comments before, and we've even had those jokes where it's like all about the comments, right? It's yeah. <laughs> all the crazy things people put in their comments, like, you know, hash, I really need to find a better job type of comments. So this one is more visual. I know some people are more visual and commenting what they're doing. So, um, Brian, this is like a, like a smart speaker or like a, like a, uh, some kind of conference phone and on the phone, it's got some buttons and they have little icons, like a mute microphone, uh, like a phone number one to like maybe place the call up, down volumes have like louder volume, less loud volume. Maybe describe the comments for our listeners. Well, there's dashed lines to go to each button with like a manual or something, right? With it, with like the, the same icon that's on the the device, just (laughs) next to it just yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> this is like just the the you know slash slash or hash or whatever of the you know logger logger equals new logger was the comment you know hash logger <laughs> yeah <laughs> this is the same but uh for that's documenting like, the user interface yeah that's definitely like the uh the you know string user comment the user uh, <laughs> exactly. <things like> that. <laughs> exactly beautiful nice yeah well super fun to BS about Python again with you this week. Thanks, Michaela, for joining us. Thanks, Brian and Michael. (laughs) Yeah, it was really great to have you here. Thanks for coming. Good to see you, as always, Brian. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Python Bytes. Follow the show on Twitter via at Python Bytes. That's Python Bytes as in B-Y-T-E-S. And get the full show notes at pythonbytes.fm. If you have a news item you want featured, just visit pythonbytes.fm and send it our way. We're always on the lookout for sharing something cool. On behalf of myself and Brian Aachen, this is Michael Kennedy. Thank you for listening and sharing this podcast with your friends and colleagues.